I pray that you follow along. You may even want to take notes or pictures of some of the slides. This is, um, I believe, critical information for what we are facing in these last days. Our scripture reading, as was read so wonderfully earlier, is from 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. The Bible says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready always to give an answer. Our message today, part one of our series on apologetics, defending the faith, defending the faith. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We thank you, Lord, for um, getting us through 2021 and into 2022. But Lord, we understand that your coming is not dependent on what number we ascribe to a year. Lord, your coming will happen when your church is without spot and blemish and when the world has been evangelized. So, Father God, I pray now that you just make me a nail upon the wall, a rusty, sorry nail. Upon that nail, Lord, I ask that you hang a portrait of Jesus Christ. Let Eric Walsh not be seen or heard today. Instead, Father, let us hear a word from the throne room of grace. As our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. All right, so we're going to go to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, the 17th chapter. The book of Acts, the 17th chapter. And we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 17 and verse 1. Acts chapter 17 and verse 1. The Bible says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Paul was on his second missionary journey, and Paul is a special Bible character. If there's anybody in the scripture that um, warrants a second look, it's the Apostle Paul, you see, while Jesus was alive, Paul seems to have never been touched by his word, or if he was, he didn't act on it. Instead, Paul began to persecute the Christians. He was happy to turn them over to the authorities. Some were put to death. He held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. At that time, of course, his name was Saul. But Paul was such a special disciple of Christ that Jesus literally left heaven, returned to earth to convert Paul. That's how special Paul was. Why was Paul so special? One, as you study Paul, you realize or read about Paul, he was a man with a heart for God. He was sincere even in his wrongdoing. He thought he was doing God's work. But not only that, Paul was a tool sharpened for the work that God had. And so this is why we as Christians, as Adventists, we, we strive to be educated and to improve upon ourselves so that we can do the most 
good we can, to have the most skills we can to do God's work. Paul was thoroughly educated. And it pays off as he speaks multiple languages. He writes very well. He's an amazing orator. And of course, besides all of his pharisaical training, he is also a tent maker. He's an incredible Bible character. And as you will see as we go through these messages, Paul epitomizes the ability to defend the faith and to speak the truth and knowing why we believe what we believe. Here he reasoned among the Jews and the Greeks in the synagogues on the Sabbath. This establishes that the Christians were still keeping the Sabbath even after Christ ascended. Verse 3 opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen from the dead, and that Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Christianity is anchored. We talked about this last week a little bit, I think. It's anchored on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The crucifixion is where Jesus pays the price. But if Jesus never gets out of the tomb, the cruci- he just becomes one of the countless people who were crucified by the Romans. It is the fact that Jesus gets up out of the tomb and walks out on his own volition. It is the fact that he defeats death and the grave. We are Christians because we serve a God who not only came to earth wrapped in the clothing of a child, he, when wrapped in burial clothing, got up and walked out of the tomb. No other religion can proclaim that. Listen, if they could find the body of Christ this week in Israel, understand that next week all churches would close. And believe me, they've been trying to find that body. Verse 4, and some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. The, 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 the Greeks began to believe. Um, some of the, the prominent women began to believe as Paul exhorted. But watch this, verse 5. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar. And assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. When the Jews realized that Paul was preaching a gospel that was being accepted, they went and got the rabble of the town. They went and got the gangsters. They got the roughnecks. They went and got people who would do violence. And they created an uproar in the town in order to stop the spreading of the gospel. Verse 6, and when they found them not, because Paul by this time they had removed him, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city crying, watch this, these that have turned the world upside down have come here also. Did you get that? They were afraid of the gospel. 
They had heard what happened in Jerusalem and in some of the other cities where the apostles had gone. Remember that some of the apostles had gone to Samaria. By now, uh, Ethiopia was on fire as, 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 as uh, Philip had met the Ethiopian eunuch. The gospel now was beginning to go all through the Roman Empire and a word had gotten back to the synagogues to be careful. And here they said, these are those who have turned the world upside down. When the gospel is preached the way it's supposed to be, when the church is on fire the way it's supposed to be, when it is filled with the spirit of the living God, the world will be turned upside down. I'm going to give you a little, a show a little bit about Paul's journey. You can see, listen, Paul was a traveler, man. He, when you consider there were no cars or planes in this day, he traversed Asia Minor, um, the, the, the Holy Land, into, into Europe. You can see where he travels here. And we're talking about when he is up here in uh, uh, near Apollonia, up in this area. Um, and he travels even further as we're going to see. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. They are running from the Jews trying to kill him in Apollonia, and they sent him to Berea. And what is, what is the first thing Paul does? He goes right back into the synagogue and starts preaching again. Some of us, if we had people chasing us like this, we'd be like we're in a special protection program with the government. Get to the next town and use a fake name. Watch this. Verse 11. I like this. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. The Bereans. The Bereans, when they heard it, they didn't just take Paul at his word. They began to spend uh, serious time in the word of God. And when they started to realize, and remember last week we talked about the prophecies of the Old Testament. When they began, they knew the story of what happened with Jesus in Jerusalem. And when they began to go through the prophecies, the Bereans started to say, wait a minute, this man, Jesus, who was crucified in Jerusalem, he is the Christ. I'll show you another map here. And you can see, so they went from, you know, they had the, they, he was in Thessalonica um, um, here. They went down to Berea. And ultimately... Paul has to flee all the way down here to Athens. Now, Acts 17, 12, Therefore many of them believed, also of the honorable women which were Greeks, and of men not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. So when the Jews in Thessalonica found out he was preaching in the synagogue in Berea, they got the riffraff and they followed him to Berea. Isn't that incredible? Let me tell you something. The devil does not want the word to go forward. He followed them to the next town. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. So they left Timothy and Saul, uh, Silas behind. Uh, Paul, uh, they sent to Athens. But they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens. And receiving a commandment unto Silas, and Timotheus, for them to come to him with all speed, they departed. So Paul now, so you can see here, he goes from, he follows this path, he comes, now he's way down here in Athens. Athens was the cultural center of the time. Athens was where the philosophers and the poets were. 
Much of Western society, even to this day, is based on what uh, happened in Athens in those days. The ideas around um, a representative government um, of, of many of these things come from the Greeks and the Romans. And Athens, even though Rome had taken control of the world, was still seen as one of the most important places in the world. This is where Paul winds up. Now, I want you to see what Paul does. Verse 16, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. When Paul gets to Athens, they said that in Athens, there were streets where every house had an idol in front of it to a certain God. That they, It wasn't just that the Athenians had idols. They were some of the greatest artisans in the world. So their idols were crafted better. They looked better. People uh, wanted to worship them. They were, they were assumed to have great power. The mythology of the time was all over the city. Paul gets there and he's grieved as he begins to walk the streets, as he sees here are those who are to be the most sophisticated of the time, yet they are totally given over to the enemy. Paul couldn't stand it. The scripture says he was stirred in his spirit. Now, 17, therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews. So, what does Paul do? He's running from the, he's running, they've sending him away because he keeps getting chased. He gets to Athens and he sees this. Now, do you think the church, the Jews in Athens, had become in, infected at all by this idolatry? Absolutely. Paul is trying to root this thing out and he goes in and he begins to dispute in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Paul was so on fire in Athens that he didn't just preach in the synagogue. Paul, as he was in the marketplace buying his vegetables or his fruits, Paul was bringing Jesus to the multitudes. This is apologetics, church. Wherever Paul found himself, he was presenting Christ. And in such a way that people understood, it began, he began to become known. In fact, um, verse 18 says, Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, What will this babbler say? They began to challenge him. Now, Epicureans had this system of philosophy that started in like 307 BC. They believed that all that mattered in life really was pleasure. That, you know, nothing else really mattered. That, you know, you, you try and seek good. They, they were kind of modest, but pleasure is what mattered. The Stoics, on the other hand, were a little bit different. The Stoics kind of wanted no emotional drift. Uh, even to this day, if someone is, you know, you see a flat affect on someone or you don't see them having a lot of emotion, you say that they're quite Stoic. So it was a kind of existence where you just kind of didn't do much of anything. You know, highs, no lows. And they thought that this was some higher elevation of thinking, the Epicureans and the Stokes. And so they began to challenge Paul. Others, um, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods. So some said, well, he, he, not only is he preaching a different philosophy, some of them said he is presenting a strange God. Why? Because he preached unto them Jesus and the what? And the resurrection. This was mind-blowing to them. That there was a man who lived in Jerusalem who died, who was God, and was resurrected. Here's what the spirit of prophecy says. 
Acts of the Apostles, page 235. Among those who encountered Paul in the marketplace were certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics. But they and all others who came in contact with him soon saw that he had a store of knowledge even greater than their own. His intellectual power commanded the respect of the learned, while his earnest logical reasoning and the power of his oratory held the attention of all in the audience. Do you get that? When Paul began to speak, even these uh, idolatrous or, uh, or heathens, humanists, as they began to listen to Paul, they realized that, wait a minute, this guy knows what he's talking about. Paul was able to present the thing that way. And let me, let me spoiler alert you now. We live in a time of Epicureans and Stoics, of idolaters. And the question really being asked of you today is, could you be like Paul and defend your faith? Can you go into the workplace and when people begin to ask you questions about what you believe, can you give an answer? to your neighbors, to your family members. His hearers recognized the fact that he was no novice, but was able to meet all classes with convincing arguments in support of the doctrines he taught. Thus, the apostles stood undaunted. Thus, the apostles stood undaunted, meeting his op opposers on their own ground, matching logic with logic, philosophy with philosophy, eloquence, with eloquence. They took him. When they heard Paul speak, they said, listen, we got to bring this guy to Mars Hill. And that's where Arapagus is. Saying, may we now, may we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. So they took him, I'm going to show you a picture of this in a second, up to Mars Hill to show him off in terms of all the greatest religious minds of Athens. Verse 20, for you bring certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. And here's why they wanted to hear it. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. You know what? When I was reading this, I realized this is like social media. Don't miss this thing. You know, somebody was to tell me they did how they did, when they when they when they um, designed social media for your phone, they intentionally made it so you scroll up because then there's no bottom to it. And what happens is you get caught because you're always trying to see what's the new thing, what's the new pet video, what's the new uh, celebrity thing, who's dating who. And then you want to know what are the comments that people are making about what the story is. Then the comments start to get commented on. They want to hear a new thing. Let me tell you something, church. It is time that we understand what God is requiring of us. Apologetics means that you are prepared to give an answer. It is not the, the endless kind of babbling of our time where we are concerned with what the Kardashians are doing and who they're dating this week or what product they put out. People are like, oh, these people are so successful. Yeah, they're successful. But anybody who's 
shoved into the limelight, can make a bar of soap, and people are going to buy it. We are asked to deal with weightier matters, church, eternal issues. And if we, are, if we are experts at Marvel and DC, if we are, 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 are understand Star Wars and all these things like the back of our hand, but do not know the word of the living God. Here's our scripture reading again. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Every one of us ought to know. You see how Paul moved? Everywhere Paul went, he was able to give an answer. He was able to defend the faith. He was able to introduce Christ crucified and resurrected. Apologetics is derived from the Greek word apologia, meaning speaking in defense. It is a reasoned argument, it is reasoned arguments or writings in justification of something, typically a theory or religious doctrine. And I, I am shocked sometimes, and, and we'll get into this in a second, but shocked sometimes when Adventists can't tell, can't tell you why they keep the Sabbath. They, they have no biblical basis as to why they keep the Sabbath. They, they keep, they say they keep it. And then there are many who don't, eat, don't know how to keep the Sabbath. If we are going to survive what is coming upon the earth, we are going to have to be people in the know. Councils to writers and editors, page 40. God will have all the bearings, God would have all the bearings and positions of truth thoroughly and perseveringly searched with prayer and fasting. Believers are not to rest in suppositions and ill-defined ideas of what constitutes the truth. And that's what I find in our churches. You ask people about an issue, and it's their thing. Well, I think. You know what the scripture says? There's a way that seemeth right unto them, a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It seems right. This is only fear, they say. She continues. Their faith must be firmly founded upon the word of God so that when the testing time shall come and they are brought before councils to answer for their faith, they may be able to give a reason for the hope that is in them with meekness and fear. Like I told you guys about the time I, was, I, was, I applied for this job in Memphis, Tennessee at a Christian clinic, not an Adventist clinic. And the guy who was the vice president for the for like the spiritual affairs at the clinic, so they would pray with the patients and you know even try and give them Bible studies and stuff. And when he found out I was an Adventist, he did not want me to get the job. I was going for a chief medical officer job. He did not want me to get the job. Um, I realized his wife also worked there and she wanted the job. <laughs> she wasn't a doctor, but she still wanted the job. She could have the job. Um, I get into the into the interview, and they don't. It's not a one on one interview. Eight people walk in to interview me. I said, what is this? A tribunal? <laughs> and within five minutes, I realized, oh, this is not an interview. They're, they're, you know, they're looking for a reason not to hire me. And he started to drill me on theological issues, the state of the dead, and things like that. So he started asking me, what makes an Adventist different? And I started to give him some of our doctrines. And quickly, it's like the Spirit of God said, listen, you're not here to interview for this job. I don't want you moving to Memphis. I said, thank you, Lord. I really don't want to move to Memphis anyway. 
no disrespect to those who may listen and are from Memphis. But I want you to defend your faith. And let me tell you something. What was supposed to be a job interview turned into like an hour-long Bible study. As I reasoned with them from the scriptures as to why hell does not burn forever. I reasoned with them from the scriptures as to why the seven days is the Sabbath. Why when you die, you don't go straight to hell or to heaven. And when I was done, I, let me tell you something. I, I never felt better after a job interview than after that one. Let me tell you something. You can't lose what you didn't want in the first place. We are supposed to be able to give a defense. I remember when I went to, I left Oakwood for, for like a quarter and took classes at the University of Alabama, Huntsville. And I took a comparative anatomy class. And the guy who taught this class, and because I, I wanted some other, you know, wanted some other classes, and the guy who taught this class, he looked just like Charles Darwin. It was bizarre. The beard, everything. And he came in in overhaul, overalls, to teach this college class. And I'm sitting there like, whoa, we have left Kansas. This is not Oakwood. And he starts to teach evolution. I mean, I've never, I mean, his cadence in teaching the class was like the preachers at Oakwood. And I watched as these Southern Baptist students who sat in the classroom with me one by one began to give up their belief in scripture and God. you don't know what you believe in Roger Murnau's book A Trip into the Supernatural I quote it all the time one of the things he says when Roger Murnau comes out of demon worship uh, 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 Roger Murnau as you know comes out of demon worship becomes a seven day Adventist but while he's in, in, the, in the demon worship and he's in the temple one of the things that the demon priest tells him and this is what you read the book this is what the book says that the demon priest told him that Charles Darwin was chosen when he was a child by Satan to do the work of introducing the theory of evolution into the world you don't understand, what we don't understand is some of these philosophies and theories that we let rattle around in our minds are demonic. Why Christian apologetics? Here you go. One, to know what you believe. It's a, it's a dangerous thing to call yourself a Christian, but I no, don't actually know what Christians or for, even further, Seventh-day Adventist Christians believe. That's a dangerous thing. That's like... That's like um, Going into a, 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 a one gang territory wearing the color of another gang. You, you, you need to know what you believe. To know why you believe what you believe. That's the second reason. It's not enough to know what you believe and say, okay, I believe the seven days of Sabbath. Why do you believe that? Third, grow your faith. As you become more familiar with these teachings by the power of the Holy Spirit, your faith will grow. At, remember, we talked about this last week. Peter says there is a more sure word of prophecy. As you understand these truths, your faith will grow. You won't have some blind faith. Your faith will hang on the word of God to avoid deception and false teachings. Like that UFO thing. I'm going to do a sermon on these UFO things. I've been watching the series on Netflix and the government stuff that they're releasing. Listen, there are a lot of people. When E.T. Says, tells them to phone home, they're going to pick up the phone. <laughs> Confidence in sharing your faith to help others with their doubt. But look at number seven. For the, perfect, for the perfection of your character. This is why we study, learn to defend what we believe. 
Here's what C.S. Lewis said. I don't quote him very often, but C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. Here's what he says here. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Either you are on fire for God or you're not. Either you are sold out for what you believe or you're not. There's no waffling. There's no lukewarm for Laodicea. If you are lukewarm, the scripture says God is going to spit you out of his mouth. Acts 17, and there's a picture, modern day, uh, picture of Mars Hill. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. And look what he says. Verse 23, for as I passed by and behold, beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Paul says, listen, and this is supposed to be the, 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 uh, what, the, what that thing would have looked like. He says, Acts 17, 24, God that made the world and all things therein, Seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Notice what Paul does. He goes and establishes God created the world. He establishes that God cannot be contained in a temple. You see what he starts to do? He begins to speak. Look, you got a, you have a God. You have a, 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 a monument over here. Um, and the, the, the Greek um, for it, let me go back into The Greek for it is agnostotheo, and it means uh, the unknown God. And so he says, you have this thing for the unknown God. He says, but you don't understand. You don't know who you're worshiping. He created the world. Verse 25, neither is worship with men's hands as, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. In other words, you can't make this God and set him up. You can't fashion him from gold or wood or stone. He made you. You can't make him. Verse 26. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. Then he deals with the, the prejudice and the racism of their day. Oh, y'all missing this thing. Paul says, in fact, we are made of one blood. The whole world is one blood, Paul says. Because the Greeks had all kinds of tears. They looked down on people. They called the Cretans names. They did all kinds of stuff. And have determined the times before appointed, that's prophecy, and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they may feel after him and find him, uh, though he be not far from every one of us. He says, listen, he's here. He's around us. He's appointed things. And if you seek him, you'll find him. Then he says this, for in him we live and move and have our being as certain also of your own poets have said see what he does he plugs back into them one of your poets said this for we are also his offspring for as much then as we are the offspring of God we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device this was their this was their pride in Athens it was the beauty of the idols all around them. And Paul is just laying it to waste. You really think the omnipotent God of the universe needs the guy down the street to make him look good? And the times, look, I love how Paul brings it here, though. 
He brings in the mercy with the, with the call for repentance. He says, and the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now commands all men everywhere to do what? To repent. Do you notice Paul preaching on Mars Hill for the first time does not finish his sermon without calling them to repentance? Powerful. Because he has appointed a day, and then he goes from repentance to judgment. Because he has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he has raised him from the dead. He begins to preach them Jesus. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. You notice how the gospel, when you preach the word, some people receive it. Some people will mock and reject it. Others, it will bounce around in their mind and they need another time with it. Others will receive it. Acts 17, 33, so Paul departed from among them. But I like this. Howbeit, certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysus, the Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So although some rejected it and mocked them, they started like, what, the resurrection of the dead? That's crazy. And others were like, you know, that's interesting. I have to think about it. Other people heard the word and responded. Let me tell you something. When you preach the word, you preach it not so that you get everyone to respond, but so that everyone must decide. Acts of the Apostles, page 239, among those who listened to the words of Paul were some of who, to whose minds the truths presented brought conviction, but they would not humble themselves to acknowledge God and accept the plan of salvation. No eloquence of words, no force of argument can convert the sinner. The power of God alone can apply the truth to the heart. This is where a lot of people fail. A lot of parents fail. You can't make your children be Christians. God has to do that. He who persistently turns from this power cannot be reached. The Greeks sought after wisdom, yet the message of the cross was to them foolishness because they valued their own wisdom more highly than the wisdom that comes from above. And let me tell you something, church. That's the time we live in today. People think they're so much smarter. We're going to talk about science in another one of these, um, uh, another one of the messages in the series. But I'm telling you, there are people who just think, well, you know, science, science, science explains everything. And they never hear the other side of the science. Never understand the other side. You know, there are people who say, well, the, the Grand Canyon, this is how the Grand Canyon was formed. But they've never heard the other side as to why what they're describing doesn't actually make any sense. Here's what she says in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 675. Satan has ability to suggest doubts and to devise objections to the pointed testimony that God sends. And many think it a virtue, watch this, many think it a virtue, a mark of intelligence in them to be unbelieving and to question and quibble. Those who desire to doubt will have plenty of room. God does not propose to remove all occasion for unbelief. He gives evidence which must be carefully investigated with a humble mind and a teachable spirit. And all should decide from the weight of evidence. God gives sufficient evidence for the candid mind to believe. 
tell you when we were doing this discussion, they were very polite with uh, a, a, um, a few Muslims that were doing it on on, um, on one of the um, the, the, the the apps. Um, uh, what was it uh, club club room? Whatever the name of the app is, Clubhouse. There it is, on Clubhouse. And when we began to show them Daniel two and Daniel seven and the prophecies, some of them were astonished at the at the precision the scripture predicts history. You're not asked to blindly believe. You are blind in your belief if you never take time to study the evidence. But he who turns from the weight of evidence because there are a few things he cannot make plain to his finite understanding will be left in the cold, chilling atmosphere of unbelief and questioning doubts and will make shipwreck of faith. Let me tell you something. Paul preached the difficult uh, present truth of his time. And guess what, church? That's what we're going to have to do. It's not going to get easier to preach this truth. In fact, as you can see in the media, it is going to get more difficult. Watch this. This is what the scripture says. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then what happens? And then shall the end come. Notice it doesn't say everyone in the world has to be converted. The gospel just has to be preached. The world has to hear the truth and make a decision. Once that happens, Christ will return. Look at what the devil wants to do. Here's an interesting one. The Pope says, Christians should never seek to convert unbelievers. Anyone who proselytizes is not a disciple of Jesus. If the gospel has to be preached everywhere for Jesus to return, is it surprising that there would now be edicts all over the world that you shouldn't convert anyone to Christianity or preach the gospel? Watch this. I was on with um, um, one of the ministries in India. I just did a, a, um, a Zoom meeting, and Alex um, is not here today, but he's kind enough to package up a whole bunch of our sermons from here and send them over that they're going to show all over India on their platforms and stuff. And they were telling me that they were worried, I think I mentioned this last week, because they were they were going to um, um, pass anti-conversion laws. And multiple states in India have done this. Christians targeted in states with anti-conversion laws. And so now they're saying, listen, we, we are, you, you can't bring someone from one religion to another. Obviously, who are they really trying to get? Christians. See, we in America, we think we're safe. You know, we don't worry about these things. You know, we go about our business, listening to Pandora, whatever we do, and nothing to worry about. And we don't realize other places in the world are already knee deep in the time of trouble. Watch this. Chinese youth cannot convert to Christianity until they're 18. There's a rule in China that you can't, you can't convert. Why? They don't want young Christians. Some estimates say there are over 120 million Christians in China. Some, the lowest end is like there's 48 million Christians. Either way, there are lots of Christians in China. They do not want the church to grow. And it's, of course, happening even here. In the United States, the decline of Christianity continues at a rapid pace. I, I showed this in the, on the message I did on why youth leave the church. But you can see here, um, the, the religious, religiously unaffiliated continues to climb while those that call themselves Christians continues to decline. This country is going to become more hostile towards Bible believers, not less. 
And there are some who worry, why are so many leaving the church? The Adventist Review uh, back uh, last year, well, year before last now, 2020, um, had a whole article on this. And people are really worried. Why are so many leaving the Seventh-day Adventist church? I don't know why you'd print an article like this. We were told there's going to be a shaking. This is prophecy being fulfilled. The article is only telling you the prophecy is actually happening. People are not going to want to stay where the straight truth is being preached. They're going to want to go where it's comfortable. They're not going to want to feel uncomfortable. They're not going to feel like they need to change their lives. They want people to tell them that they can live in their sin and be all right with God. And if our church preaches a straight truth, folk are going to get up and walk out. God didn't call us to get to have the biggest church. He called us to have the purest church. Here's what the studies show. I, showed, I might have shown you guys this before. Just look at the highlighted area. This is why y'all young people leave the church. This is a, a true study that was done on, on, on hundreds of young people. Teens and 20-somethings' experience of Christianity is shallow. They say that's why they leave the church. They say church is irrelevant to their daily lives. That there isn't enough in-depth study of the Bible and a real in-depth relationship or experience with God. The young people leave the church and say, you know why I left the church? We didn't study the Bible enough. We had enough pizza nights. We had enough game nights. We had, you know, we had the music that sounded like the secular music of the world. We had all that stuff, but none of that held us because you can't out, you, you can't Christian rap, out rap Jay-Z. It's just not going to happen. You're going to lose that battle. What the young people need, and they can make the decision to stay or go, but they need to be instructed in the word of God. So what are the important questions? We're apologetics. What are the important questions that we are looking to answer? Well, number one, each one of us has to ask ourselves, why am I a Christian? Before you ask the second question, which is just as important, but I stack with why am I a Christian? Because the second question is, why am I a seven-day Adventist? There are people who are mad about being Seventh-day Adventists. You ever met these people? It is the strangest thing to me. If you don't want to be one, don't be one. It doesn't make any sense, right? I'm not a Red Sox fan. There's a reason. I don't like the Red Sox. You get what I'm saying? It makes no sense. Ask yourself, why are you here? There are people who are here because this is their tradition. This is where their family is. But they don't believe. They don't like what we believe. So what are some of the big questions you have to ponder? Outside of Christianity, you have to ask. You have to be able to answer these questions if you're going to do apologetics. Why does evil exist if God is all-powerful and he is all-good? Can you answer that question? Tough question, but if you go to philosophy class in college, this is the question they're going to hit you with. Can the Bible be trusted? We talked a little bit about that last week. We'll talk more about it later. The Bible can absolutely be trusted, but do you know why? Did Jesus really exist? Exist? If so, was he resurrected? Right? I told you last week that a billion Muslims in the Quran, it teaches and they believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, but they do not believe he died on a cross, that he was crucified. Inside Christianity, for other Christians of other denominations, you, be, you need to be able to ask the question, doesn't hell burn forever? Right? They say, well, you, you, and some of them like it. Like, you get, they get this, like, grin on their face, like, yeah, they're going to burn. 
I'm like, man, that's not very Christ-like. Wanting people to just burn forever. That's not, that's not very nice. I'm, that's what they want. Isn't Sunday the Sabbath? Can you answer that question to a colleague? Is Christ divine? Is the Holy Spirit a person? Is the Holy Spirit divine? This is going through our churches now. People are anti-Trinitarian. Jesus isn't really God. The Holy Spirit isn't divine. You see that this is sweeping through? And if you can't answer these questions when they come to you, you're in trouble. Now, here's the big questions. You send your child off to college. Isn't evolution how life began? Can you answer the question of the origins of the world? Was Muhammad a prophet? And here's the key one. Is the world coming to an end? It's interesting that the, the, the world is panicking. They, they, you know, they're, they're panicking over the climate change. The world is coming to an end. And Christians, especially Adventists who know that the coming of our Lord is near, we do not have the fervor or the um or the or or the or the, or the uh, energy that they have they're ready to t- turn all the cars electric and, and put solar panels on everybody's house and shut down power plants and we knowing that Jesus is about to return don't seem like we're willing to do much of anything i won't, I won't get into these but some of the Adventist questions um, should we teach about jewelry, secular music, dancing, the movie stuff we talked about a lot when we were kids at Faith? What is it appropriate to do on the Sabbath? Are we the remnant church? Who are the 144,000? Is it a sin to eat meat or drink a soda? No, nobody reacted out. Can we trust the writings of Ellen White? Right? All of these are the things that are tough things. And when you can't answer some of these questions on some of the most minute points, I'm going to let some of y'all of these. If you drink a soda, you didn't sin. It's, it's okay. Somebody's looking at me like perplexed. Hmm. No, you're all right. Watch this. Spirit of Prophecy says this. No line of truth that has made the Seventh-day Adventist people what they are is to be weakened. We have the old landmarks of truth, experience, and duty, and we are to stand firmly in defense of our principles in full view of the world. You know one of the problems with our church? We cower. We're scared. Other churches jump up. Oh, we're going to stand for what we believe. We kind of just try and hope nothing really happens. And that, you might, that might be smart sometimes, but we're coming to a time where eventually you're going to stand up and say, we believe thus saith the Lord. And you have to be strong in saying it. To be sure, this is quite an order. For the old landmarks pertain to truth, experience, and duty. In the area of truth, there are the beliefs and teachings that have made the Seventh-day Adventist church what it is and are basic to the everlasting gospel. Look, look, at what, look at what she mentions as these truths. The judgment hour messages, the temple of God in heaven, and the ark containing God's law, the light of the Sabbath commandment along with the other commandments, the cleansing of the sanctuary in heaven, the nature of man in sin and redemption. These truths have withstood test and trial. The lapse of time has not lessened their value. She says, I have been shown that many who profess to have a knowledge of present truth know not what they believe. They do not understand the evidences of their faith. 
They have no just appreciation of the work for the present time. When the time of trial shall come, there are men, watch this church, there are men now preaching to others who will find upon examining the positions they hold that there are many things for which they can give no satisfactory reason. Until thus tested, they knew not their great ignorance. She goes on, she says, and there are many in the church who take it for granted that they understand what they believe. But until controversy arises and they do not know their own weakness, when separated from those of like faith and compelled to stand singly and alone to explain their belief, they will be surprised to see how confused are their ideas of what they had accepted as truth. Certain it is that there has been among us a departure from the living God and a turning to men, putting a human wisdom, putting human wisdom in place of divine. I like what she says here. She says, God will arouse his people if other means fail. Heresies will come in among them, which will sift them, separating the chaff from the wheat. The Lord calls upon all who believe his word to awake out of sleep. Precious light has come appropriate for this time. It is Bible truth showing the perils that are right upon us. This light should lead us to a diligent study of the scriptures and a most critical examination of the positions which we hold. The time is right upon us. One of, the, one of the groups that I have a lot of respect for um, are the Christians that were in the former Soviet bloc countries. I, I remember being on LLBN with a Romanian pastor who gave us the stories of what he went through under communism. And I wept. I, and I've, I've, seen, I've heard others, you know, there are others that I've heard, and this was an Adventist pastor. Of course, if you look at um, the Voice of the Martyrs, um, they have their the program, I forget the name, um, 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 uh, I think it's Persecuted for Christ. Powerful stuff. This didn't happen long ago, church. Right now in the world, there are people in prisons being tortured because of what they believe right now. And if you don't believe, or if you don't know what you believe or why you believe it, you're not going to be tortured for something you don't understand. You're not going to go through that. You're not going to stand the test of what is coming upon the earth. And let me tell you something. The, the truth of our day is that it doesn't have to be physical torture anymore. They can torture you on the, on the internet and through social media. They can damage your reputation, make you look like an animal, a barbarian because you believe what you believe. Are you ready? Will you stand the test of that time? Can you defend the faith? Do you really know what you believe and why? This new year, 2022, don't let this year end. And we not all better understand what we believe and why we believe it. Acts 17. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed. When we share the gospel, somebody, somebody will be touched by it. And it will take root. I challenge us. We get to a place where we can defend the faith.
As we go through this series, we're going to go into certain things. I can't cover all of those questions I mentioned, but we'll touch on some of them and how we as Christians study to be able to give an answer. And as God prepares us to do a great work in this end time, I challenge each of us in 2022 to consecrate ourselves to the work that is in front of us. If you're a high school student, be prepared to go into school and share with your friends the love of Jesus. On your job, be willing to share with others, even sometimes praying for them secretly, so that they would be, so that the Spirit of God would work on their behalf. Some of you work in healthcare like I do. Sometimes you can't pray with the patient. You don't know if they'll allow it. But let me tell you something. Let them leave and pull aside and speak a word on their behalf. And then when they come back, see how God might allow you to introduce them to his son, Jesus Christ. This is the work before us, church. When this gospel has been preached everywhere, Jesus is going to take off his priestly robes in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. And he's going to put on his kingly robes. Revelation tells us that he is going to mount a white horse and he's going to empty heaven out. Scripture says there will be a silence in heaven, the space of a half an hour. That's about seven days, literally. He is going to come to earth and retrieve those that are his. I can't wait to hear the trumpet sound. I want to hear the voice of the archangel cry out. All who are in the tomb come forth. I can't wait to see the dead in Christ come to life. Then I can't wait till gravity has no more effect on me, church. And I'm able to rise. That is why we defend the faith. Because our general is coming to get us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this Stories of Paul and how he defended the faith wherever he went. And the call to each of us to be able in the art of apologetics, to defend the faith, to share the gospel, to lift up Christ and him crucified to a dying world. Now, Lord, I pray a blessing on us as a church and on everyone here. That in 2022, yes, Lord, we want it to be prosperous. Lord, we want it to be safe and to be peaceful. But Father God, most importantly, we want it to be spirit-filled. We want this year to be a year where the work is completed and where we see Jesus coming in the clouds of glory. This is our prayer in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Let the church say amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.